Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. February 25th, 2024, episode 240, Keith Moment. Hello everyone, it's Kevin England back again with another episode of the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast and... Maybe you guessed by the intro. I have a guest to join me here tonight. You know, this podcast is a lot about, I don't know how people perceive this, two beekeepers meet at a bar and start talking. They could meet at a restaurant. They could meet at a beekeepers meeting and they could meet on Discord. On the other end of the line, I have my twin brother. Welcome back to the program. Hi, everybody. Thanks, Kev, for having me again. So we talked about calling this episode four years because it's been four years since we've chatted on the show. Can you believe that? How fast that's gone? And it has so much has happened in four years. It's been, uh, it's been a fun ride. I think, uh, well, well, I'm not going to give it away. Let's, let's go through the episode and we'll talk about that four years. Okay, so that's, let's talk about what we're going to talk about. A couple things you and I discussed that we want to go over. And the first one that I want to ask about is, you started out as a newbie keeper. You remind me all the time that you're now a seasoned veteran with four years under the belt. I say that tongue in cheek because I tease you all the time, but four years. And it's been an interesting learning curve. You've had a bit of a an advantage, right? Because you have me as a mentor, but how sum up you and Karina keeping the bees for four years. How's it going? Well, first of all, I, I do want to say that it is a little bit of an unfair to have you in my corner. Most people don't. Want um, it is going great. Honestly, we went out the other day and the bees were flying and that's a very good thing when you're quite a ways through the winter. Um, We've enjoyed our ride to this far, and the fact is, there's a big word there, we. It's it's the one thing that the two of us stop and do together, and that's been one of the highlights of it all. So you're, you're keeping bees in your backyard, and you started when I just drove over one day and said, here, I'm giving you a swarm and put a box in your backyard. And that parlayed to, how many hives do you have? Three, right? Nope, we're up to four. Okay. And uh, that's as much equipment as I have, so we'll see where that goes. But right now, um, we've got four, and three of them are doing great. One struggling along a little bit, but we're hoping all of them make it. When I first brought you a box, I brought you a swarm in a scrubby piece of equipment, and then we built that hive out that summer, and you overwintered it. One, right? One hive first year. And I kind of kept the bees the first year for you and uh, walked you out and said, I'm going to go take care of your bees. Do you remember this? I do. Yep. Yeah. And so it was really I... year two on your property when we started to keep bees. And I, I'm trying to remember, I made a split, didn't you? And we, we used two of my pieces of equipment to keep the bees the first year. Do I have that wrong? We, we went out and... We purchased the equipment. It was all painted and ready to go. And you made a split, and then we had a swarm. And and we were able to 
pretty quickly move up in our ratio. So when you started beekeeping, you were in wooden Langstroth conventional 10D pipes. But when you asked me what kind of equipment you should buy, you did something that 99% of beekeepers don't do, which is you went out and bought a polystyrene kit all the way through. Your hives are all polystyrene. Aside from when you delivered the bees that day, they came in wood, but up until that time, uh, we we honestly didn't know you were coming. We had some idea, and then the next thing we knew, we were beekeepers. Um, I, I don't mean to say you forced it upon us. That's the wrong way, but, but we knew we wanted polystyrene from the time that you and I went up and got your extractor, and I looked around at all the equipment. Yeah, so the original intention was, I had asked you over and over and over again, do you want to be a beekeeper? Do you possibly want to try bees? And at one point I had said to you, look, I, I have a swarm and I need to relocate them. Why don't I set them on your property and we'll just keep them there for a period of time. And if you like the concept, you can adopt them. And in year two, we made that switch over. And so no beekeeping, you didn't take a beginner's beekeeper course yet, right? No training? No, I listened to podcasts, <laughs> yours and others. That was my training. That, that's really kind of the funny thing about you is you knew a lot about beekeeping and were not a beekeeper. You were just living vicariously through what I was recording and then started listening to Ken, <laughs> your favorite guy, Ken, who's no longer there anymore. Yep. The Hive Jive. Yeah. And thank you, Ken Swan, too. So we should call him out and give him credit where credit's due. Yeah. So, so your, your first year, Karina loves the bees. She talks about how gentle they are and they love her back, which I find funny every time we go out and talk. Mm -hmm. But any challenges in the first year that you remember? No, I think, the, like any beekeeper, the, the biggest challenges are the unknown. You wonder if you're doing it right. Just, am I a terrible beekeeper? <laughs> you know, the same thing that everybody else goes through. And then eventually you start to wrap yourself around and say, listen, we're not the first people to come down this road. Um, that the Varroa mite and doing your checks and things like that. You know, when do you do it? How do you do it? How fast do you do it? Once you get all those questions answered, it, it kind of takes care of itself. I think I kind of guided you the first year, and then the second year I browbeat you to death to, to tell you, like, you, did you do your mic checks net? No, I'll get to it. I'm busy. I don't hear you busy. <laughs> I was I was pretty critical of you. I didn't want to see you struggle and, and fail. You were adamant about keeping notes. That was one thing that I remember, and I thought to myself, I, I, I'm not some, like, this is a small operation. I can remember what I did. And I did, I, I do have a notebook. I use OneNote from Microsoft, keep my stuff in there. Um, I, I don't, I won't say I was the best, but I did what I was supposed to do when I was supposed to do it. I think I did a fair job. Um, not, not a, what do you call it? A porch beekeeper. There's some kind of saying, I say. A beehive. We tried not to be that helicopter or whatever it's called. Yeah. But, you know, I have to say, and give credit where credit is due, you have one of the nicest bear fences 
I have ever seen in an apiary. And you evolved your situation from, but you had that like flat metal red table. Am I right? It's still there, actually. So, so I'm a bricklayer, and I worked on a job for UPS, and they gave me the conveyor belt material that was left over from a new job when they were building a new conveyor belt. And I laid that out as a foundation to my apiary. And then I have this, like you said, I inherited this metal welding table, and I painted it real nice, and it's out there. And when I work, that's where I put my equipment. And that's how I, and it's maybe 16 inches off the ground. It's perfect. I remember the first year you had bees and we brought the, the hive out in the backyard and we set it on that red table and we kept the bees on the red table. Now you have them on single stands that you built. I went, I went and got uh, some pretty good outdoor lumber and I went out on Pinterest and looked it all up and decided what I wanted to build and I'm, I'm very happy with what I have because you know it, it has not only does it hold the the colony but it also has a place where you could set a few uh, frames down on the back of it so it's worked out really well that way I like the fact that they're independent of each other um, it was it was a big deal the other the other thing that I did that was one of the major things was I shifted it when I went to more colonies. I had to shift it from one direction to the other. And it worked out. I didn't, you know, the whole does the thing face the sun in the morning. Um, mine, mine face where they get probably three quarters of the day of sun. So that, that was a big thing to totally change the orientation. But that ended up working out too. So I'm... I'm pretty happy with the way it's sitting right now. You, you've been to my yard. You know my bees are in the forest. <laughs> They're in the woods, mm -hmm. and they don't yeah. see the morning sun. The morning, they get afternoon sun through the hole above the canopy, and that's about it. So I, I don't, I'm not saying don't face them towards the morning sun and be in full sun. That is the, the recommendation. But I, I will also say that if you walk around and look at bee trees, it's a little hole and it may or may not face the sun. So I think there's a little too much made of that, but, uh, your, your apiary is really nice the way you have it. When you work the bees, you stand behind them, you can go from hive to hive and the space around it, you built your bare fence, a pretty good size. Mm -hmm. So there's room to work in there. Nice. It's a nice operation. You have a big wide open yard too, right? Where you're. Yeah, I do. I have, I have a very big space. I, I also, one of the things that I'm kind of proud of is I put that uh, poly rope for the electric fence, and this is going to sound silly. We used to have a blue shift light on top of our race car, little LED light, maybe eight inches long, that when you were in racing gear, the light would go out, and when you were out of racing gear, it would go on. I harvested that light because we did away with that on the race car, and I put it on my fence. So now if you look out in the backyard, it's got a solar charger and the light blink. So I know that my fence is operational. And I, I'm kind of like, that That talks to me a little bit, that I, I have that little reassurance. Um, it's not, you know, go ahead. To t tell me about your, tell people what your bear fence looks like. Describe it. Because I mentioned, I bragged how nice it is, but then they have no idea what it looks like. 
So, so in the corners, I buried four by four posts. They're eight foot tall. And then on the top, I put a two by six around the perimeter. And on the bottom, I put a little triangle. Um, and between the top perimeter of wood and the bottom triangles, it's sturdy. It doesn't move. And then every six inches, I put a poly rope around the perimeter of it all. And it's got a, uh, I went to Tractor Supply and bought the biggest solar battery electric charger and put it on there and connected it. Um, I was practical. I drove a bunch of rebar in the ground because I got them from work. And I hooked that up to the ground. It has a swing fence, maybe four foot, that I built out of uh, two by fours. And I put turnbuckles on a on a diagonal so if it ever sags you just tighten the turnbuckle um and as i mentioned earlier i have those uh those they're almost like a wire laden rubber mat that they use for conveyor belts and i have those outside and then right in front of the door i put a nice little piece of uh aluminum so that the door never has any problem opening and you know, knock on wood, it's been three years. It's been sturdy and safe. And and I know one day I got against the fence and boy, it was like somebody hit me with the paddles. I, I was going to getting... ask you if you ever got zapped by that thing. Oh my God, it lifted me off the ground. I couldn't believe how much power. <laughs> I bet. And, uh, you know, I have um, I have cameras that point out towards the, the apiary. I can see, you know, mostly it's a deer camera shows all the deer in the backyard and the fox and whatever runs across it but but it points out there and only once have i seen a bear go across the yard and it didn't tamper the the apiary but you know if you look at new jersey most people associate new jersey with the sopranos <laughs> but it's actually stunningly beautiful on this side um and there are honestly there are a lot of bear sightings in our area so it's prudent to have that because I'm afraid if they got in there, they would just decimate everything. Yeah, you're you're uh, in the 78 territory, right? We always say there's bears all over New Jersey, but 78 north, there's bears. And you're right near 78. So you're in that territory where they're in the divide. Mm-hmm. This yeah, is a it is. Kevin moment. I, I got an email from a company. I want to say it's in Texas. And they wanted to know if there was some means to use a sprayer. Like a pesticide sprayer, but it wasn't a pesticide sprayer. It was some sort of industrial thing that they got dozens of. And they wanted to know if there was any possible use in beekeeping. And I went and looked at that website. And their deal is they recycle industrial waste. And I don't mean waste as in th things like stuff that got ordered and then it was the wrong size and they didn't use it. And one of the things they have a massive collection of is conveyor belt. And I thought to myself, that stuff is the perfect product to put down on the ground. And they have, you could buy sheet rolls of the stuff, bazillion yards for next to nothing and they have ones that are 18 inches wide 24 inches wide four foot wide 
They get them mm -hmm. out of the mines, apparently. And you've been to my house. Underneath my hive stands, I have a doormat. Right. Two foot by three foot or bigger. Some of them are three foot by four foot. And I put them underneath my hive stand and the grass doesn't go through them. And they're nice to stand on and they're outdoor doormats. So they work fine. So your, your apiary with that. It's serendipity that you found it, end of Kevin moment. That's that's kind of cool. I should also point out that uh, although it's not that popular, I use mulch around that, around those mats. So, you know, that way I, I can keep the, there's a, there's a giant tarp underneath the mulch, then there's mulch, and then there's these conveyor belts. But it keeps the, it keeps the area where I don't mow under check there's very little weeding that i have to do let's put it that way yeah so, I, I don't love the mulch in your yard but i know that's a knit that's really nothing else so first couple of years what what's challenged you and you've made a lot of honey reasonable amount of honey for each of your hives your bees are in look like every time i go there they're quite healthy looking you got plenty of forage it seems I don't. I don't want to. I. I don't want to talk so much about the challenges. That the, the varroa mite thing, and when to treat, and it's too hot to do this, or it's not too cold for them to fly, or, you know, those those windows of opportunity. Beekeeping for me. It's been relaxing. It hasn't been that challenging from a standpoint of like, okay, I don't care what you say. This weekend I got to go out there and do this. Um, we've been able to keep up pretty well. Um, I've been well, afforded to some extent, some... I, I mentor you so you don't struggle <laughs> you, you have it easy you don't have to discover problems I usually tell you what's coming in advance and... no no I don't listen I'm grateful and, and I've actually gone with you to some other people's places and looked at their stuff on a couple of trips and it's interesting to see what everybody else does once one thing that I've learned, and, and this is a kind of Kevin, I told you so moment, is we talked about how many places there are that, where people keep bees here. And in the beginning, I was like, oh, my bees are great because they're all by themselves. They're out here on an island. You know, we have the best bees. My bees are better than your bees. You know, we, we were like, I was in competition with the world. I have the world's best bees. And I come to find out that there's multiple apiaries like right here there's some there's some within a few hundred feet that i had no idea until the people put a sign up out front said we're an apiary and then there's a very large parcel of property worth millions and millions of dollars and it turns out that they have a vineyard and they have 150 colonies like right across the way here so i'm surrounded by bees i had no idea yeah um and I, I like to think that, um, you know, we're good stewards. We're doing the right things. We're not, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're following good practices. Um, you know, I'm pretty happy about that. I'm not, I'm not the world's best beekeeper, but, but I do, I do try and be responsible. About it. I, I remember one problem you had as you were expanding and adding more boxes. You bought the foundation the wrong size. That's still haunting me. Every every single piece I have to put in, I have to cut maybe 
an eighth inch off the bottom. Yeah. And I have just a little bit left. That's if the wires. I think when we ordered our equipment, they didn't have any. So we had to order the frames from one person and the foundation from somewhere else. I think you had the frames, and when we went to Better Be to buy the extractor, you bought something there, didn't you? No, I kind of, I recall that there was some kind of issue where one was from somebody and one was from someone else, and that was the big. So, uh, how about, but I mean, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Should finish your thought. Even that, like, so, so I have a battery powered uh, Brad nailer. Putting all the, the stuff together, I made myself a little jig. Yeah. I think you were pretty happy with that so that everything came out square, neat, and tidy. And I was meticulous about it all. Um, I painted my boxes, and they still look great. They're orange and white. And I just, I nailed the color scheme on them. Um, and, you know, when you look back there, it kind of looks like I know what I'm doing. I'm not professing to be, you know, but it's not embarrassing. <laughs> so, I guess. Well, we went to Better Be that time, and we got a tour, which you tell me all the time. We recorded a bunch of stuff, and I never got a chance to produce it. But you got to see the frame room where the guy was building the frames in the back. That whole operation, those people are amazing. Going, you know, we walked in there like because of your prowess of this podcast. They gave us a full tour. I was honored to go with you. It was neat. That just they are so together, and the guy was genuine. Yeah. And their products were great, and they cared about the people and. They were putting uh, frames together, and they were like, pow, 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 pow. They were great. That was really an eye-opening experience for me. I was so glad that you you had the chance to see that, because I've seen that in different places. And the fact that you got to, to get the background. Look, I, I, like you, have a great appreciation, and I promote Better Be all the time. We're not sponsored by them, but I buy my frames and my equipment and my boxes through Better Be. And, and it's strictly because I saw, again, like you said, the attention to detail, the way they treat their customers, the support of the beekeepers in that region, and the fact that they're doing, you know, they're doing great work. And that was in COVID, if you remember, right? Their, their office was closed and... The, the boss, I think he was the boss, honestly. Yeah. I'm not sure yeah, exactly. He was who, but one of the business. He was so genuine. He was really, you know, and he walked us up. They have um, they have storage in the back, and we looked, and they were killing it. They were like, if you ordered something, you could get it right away. That was just, that was a very, you know, it wasn't, I'm not going to say we went to a giant warehouse. It was It was a normal size like the side of a large garden yard, uh, like yeah, somebody that would, you know, have an ace hardware. And, and, you know, you could see that they were achieving what they had. It was good. That was, honestly, I wish you had sent that tape out. I don't know that you ever did. I but. still have the recording. I may have to come back. There's every once in a while I get a, a window where I could find stuff and produce it and put it out. And it's in the vault. And I, I'll get to it at some point. It was a little Willy Wonka, I don't mind saying. It was good to go there. It was neat. You know, speaking of your 
wax adventure. I mentioned that at the meeting. I went to the Northwest New Jersey Beekeepers meeting last night. Great show. A lot of people. That was nice to see. It's good to catch up with friends and it's good to see new beekeepers. Saw a bunch of them and talked about the manage mentoring program and gave them guidance on how to get there. Managementoring.com if you're starting beekeeping. But I told the story because the premise of the meeting was rehabilitating equipment and how to build equipment. James Sadebsky was building content up in the front. He had a, a nail gun and a bunch of different stuff and he was putting equipment together and talking people through the ins and outs. And I told the story about, actually somebody else mentioned that part of the frame game presentation, it was, Jay, it was David Waldman, our past president, was to buy all your equipment from one place. And I told the story of buying frames from one place and foundation and how you had to cut a hundred mm -hmm. frames. <laughs> so you got to mention. Oh, that's good. I, I'm telling you now. I've done that before too, by the way. You take a, for those who not know what we're talking about, if you put the, the foundation in and it's too long, it'll banana. It'll have a curve in it. It'll go in the frame most of the time, but it won't be straight up and down. And so if you take a box knife and you cut an eighth inch off, and then you take a pair of wire clippers and you go wire to wire to wire to wire and clip them. We're talking about obviously wax foundation. If you get the hang of setting that up, you can bang through a bunch of frames and rectify that. And you're only going to do it once and then you're, you're done with it. So it is, it is a problem that you can recover from. I'll give you a pro tip from that. Go. Get yourself a pair of EMT shears and yes. it'll do the wax and that's, the wire. That's funny. I had the same thing. I have a pair from our EMT days and they have the yellow handle. And there's still, remember the pouches we got from Wildwood from the fire thing yeah. with, that hold mag lights? By the way, I have mm -hmm. your blue and red mag light from those days sitting over here on the shelf. No kidding. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so here's here's one thing I want to say. Wait, let me uh, say one more thing about that meeting. Yeah. I mentioned in previous shows that I was going to make candles, and I told you I made the candles. They came out amazing, as good as I remembered. And I wanted to ask you while we were talking, do you remember Liberty Village going in and making candles? the same memory idea of getting invited in and dipping the candles vaguely what i kind of remember about it was they had a blacksmith shop that's that's the big thing i remember so here i do remember maybe this will bring you back right there was the fence in the front where you went in mm -hmm. ticket booth was on the left and you walk in and the blacksmith was just into your left side as soon as you walk in and over to the right, against the right side, over where the road is by the railroad tracks, right. it was almost like a shed-like building. And one side had all the candles hanging, and the other side had the wax operation. And the lady beckoned you and I over and let us go behind the things. She was nervous because the kettles were hot. She didn't want us to get burned, but, but she coached us through it. And each of us took turn dipping the candles, and she showed us how to do it. That You hmm. ring a bell on that? I don't. I don't remember that. I will tell you. The period garb with the head thing over, yeah. like, you know, Puritan kind of. I wish they never did away with that, honestly. It was kind of like a 
Colonial Williamsburg, but right here in Hunterdon County. They missed their thing. If they'd have promoted that yeah. better, they could have had Colonial Williamsburg. <laughs> exactly. So, so I wanted. You apparently did. You did recall because I talked all about that. We we tried to make candles here. Just one, I should say. I don't want to make it sound like it was a big operation. Yeah. And we put the wrong, we put the wrong wick in, and we learned that lesson. The candle didn't burn right. So we haven't come back to that. I'm very excited to go and try that again. We were able to melt the wax and figure that all out. We used an old uh, crock pot yeah. and did it over a long time. Slow and steady wins the race. But but the candle looked beautiful. It just didn't burn well. We put the wrong wicks in. So that's something on the future list. So at um, the meeting last night I showed, we have those... Um, Silicone molds, right? different shapes and sizes. Some of them will make a, a bar, like the size of a finger, pointer finger. Some of them make these round, about the dimension of a soda can, two inches high, a little bit bigger, with a nice pattern. They're meant for soap. Right. And then we have a square one, size of a bar of soap. So I have gallon bags of wax, different variation, rendered down foundation wax, rendered stray wax that we collect, and cappings wax. If you want to make candles, I still have the setup here in my downstairs workshop. And I poured all the different things, including the pastilles that I've been talking about. I won't say that again, but I brought them last night to the meeting and showed everybody along with the seeded honey that I made, because people haven't seen that, and the propolis. And recently on the podcast website, I wrote features for all of that stuff. Actually, the pastilles one is in play. I haven't finished writing it yet, but it'll be released soon. I'm interested in the candles. If, you, if you're going to do that again, that I want to know. Call me up. I, I, I want to talk about the future a little bit, and that'll tie into this, that, Unfortunately, while you were doing all this, I've been going back and forth to New Hampshire. Um, we're working on a place up there. And the other day I happened upon a beekeeper up there. And it was the beekeeper because out on the main highway, say the main highway, it's a little two-lane road. This guy has three colonies, solar thing behind him. I've always wanted to stop and talk to him. So... He just happened to be there. It's like he, he made some mention. Oh yeah, I'm the guy across from that. I'm like, you're the beekeeper guy. So we struck up a conversation. I told him that I was interested, and what he showed me was was something that you would be interested in. It was a battery in the bottom box, and then the brood box, and then supers, and it was a heating system that maintained. Heat had a, a moisture exchange built into it, so whoever he was communicating with, that was you know part of his beekeeping community, was working on this so that in New Hampshire, when it's cold in the winters, they could maintain temperature. And that was interesting. I have his information, and uh, if you're listening in New Hampshire, the Kearsarge uh, Beekeeping Club, I want to talk to you. I really would like to know more. Um, and, and I want to see what it's going to be. 
I, I inherited some three and a half inch thick masonry coated styrofoam on a job. And I want to make an enclosure that I can maintain heat in and try and make a run of it of bees up there. So that's on my future list. We'll see how that goes. So, so I remember you going to New Hampshire and prior to that, you asked me 85,000 questions about why don't they put bees in a building and maintain the heat? Why don't they put heaters in the hives and all that? And I said, it's really not necessary. And then you came back and said, I met this guy and he's putting this thing in this hive and he's, I thought that was kind of comical. Only you would find that guy, the one guy in like Jabip, New Hampshire. Well, <laughs> the are. trick is, the trick is to me, if you could maintain something like 40 degrees, right? Just give them a little help. They don't, I'm not trying to give them the club med, but get them enough so that it doesn't go down to minus four. Cause you know. Uh, on Tuesday this week, it was five degrees there. So if you could help them, you know, and I know most of us don't have electricity where we are, right? You're, usually your yards are isolated. They're away from everybody. But in this case, where I am, it's in the middle of the woods. And I think I could have electricity. Uh, you know, and I'm not, you know... Well, I'm not talking about a major. So if you want to run a line out to a garage out in the North Forty, and you put a trunk to. Yeah. You know, people run lines to their pools and stuff, so it's not out of the question to put electricity to an apiary. And I suppose it. You know, why not? You could put a thermostat on it. So it's interesting, and I'm sure, as we say this, there'll be if if people know somebody who knows somebody who's done this. There's probably a zillion people who have done this, and. They've just done it and nobody ever knows about it. So if it's not that hard and it maintains your, or let's just say not maintains, that's the wrong way. If it ups your ante to getting through to spring, why not? I don't think not spending a million dollars on it, but something simple, just a little bit of help for them. And if it gets them closer to spring, I think that's a good idea to, to, See if there's, and who knows, we retire, could be a market. Hey. <laughs> right. Right. Don't steal my idea, people. I know this. Quiet. Keep it between us. The, the mention of an idea and commercializing it is a pretty large divide. Ask anybody who provides beekeeping equipment. But, you know, one of the things that, that people are doing or researching these days is what's the optimal temperature? And a lot of that research is being done where people are storing bees in interior buildings and then maintaining the atmosphere. And from what I know, just casually listening to different conversations I've encountered, it's 40 degrees. That's the optimal temperature to maintain torpor where the bees stay in a quiescent state, but they don't run around and consume resources and they don't have to do a massive amount of work to try to generate heat to keep the colony warm to survive. So I guess in, in the panacea world, that's your target mm -hmm. from what I understand. If you could build a temperature system to maintain the area of the cluster at 40 degrees, you'd be golden. Okay. There it is. I'll let you know how I make out. So what's your plan for you? 
I know um, the boss doesn't want you to expand to any additional hives, but you're just going to keep maintaining hives and and uh, harvesting 519 honey. Good name for yeah. your company. Neat logo you came up with. I thought that was cool that you made labels. The, the, the premise between that name is that uh, 519 is uh, the longest county road in New Jersey. Longest county route. And it runs from all the way down in Stockton, New Jersey, all the way up to the New York border. Stockton, where are it's you? The, it's the west side of the state. And it's a beautiful ride. I mean, if you ever get out into this side of Hunter County, you'll understand. And Wait, don't tell me. We are right on it. <laughs> well, there's no exit. Let's put it that way. Right. No, you know, it's funny as I was having this conversation with somebody at work today. Like, don't tell people how beautiful it is because then they'll come here and they'll ride along and they'll want to move out and ruin it. <laughs> no, That's a selfish gonna... way. But, you know, that 579 tour that they have where you can go to. Right. What, what's the uh, brewery by Corey's? Um, Ironbound. Uh, Orchard? Ironbound. Yeah, Ironbound. I, they I'm do sell tighters. Right. You can. <laughs> Yeah. There's a lot of beautiful places to stop and farm stands and antique stores. So, so if people ask me where I live, I say a half hour above where Washington crossed the Delaware. We're three miles from the Delaware. And it's, it is a absolutely stunningly beautiful place in New Jersey. Yeah. It's, it's so far removed from the soprano stereotype that most people say. Um, you know, it's rolling hills and creeks. Really. So, so who came up with the name and the, the logo? The logo, by the way, represents uh, the shape of a county sign. County road yeah, sign the, for Route 519. Who came up with the name? The, the idea was bounced around. It was one of maybe a half a dozen logo ideas that we came up with. And, and ultimately, we settled on this one because we wanted to be able to tell the story that I basically just told you. That this is it just... You know, it's why New Jersey is called the Garden State. It is not what people expect when they come out here. So the idea that where our bees are foraging is not industrial. It's very rural and, and very pretty. So, yeah, I think that's that's how we settled on. We, we bounced around a half a dozen names, but the idea that we live on 519 and that it, you know, when I looked up at 519 and I realized what it was, then I said, okay, this is where we're settled. It just worked. Yeah. What else? What else do you want to tell me that I didn't ask you? Um, I, I want to... Some people might get angry with me saying this. I want to say that this has been a really pleasant journey. I feel very adult doing this. Because, you know, it's it's not overly strenuous compared to some of the things that we've done in life. We have race cars, and that's a lot of work. It's a lot of enjoyment, you know. But, but the same concept that one of the things that I gain is I get to drive to the racetrack with my son. And it's sometimes they're three hours away. You would never spend three hours with your son 20 sometimes a year. And, and beekeeping, to some degree, is the same thing, where my wife and I go out back, we take care of the bees, 
we go to occasional things with beekeepers and we get to meet and talk and it's not there's not a lot of stress you know it's fun to go out there and see how they're doing the other day i called you all excited they're all flying yeah you know so there's been to me it's very therapeutic in a way to do this um does it have its downsides yeah there's sometimes you know when you lose a colony and then you have to clean up we've i think we've lost two over the, the four years that we've been doing it and that's no fun and and by my estimation the one was straight up my fault we just didn't we didn't have enough resources in and it was a lesson learned and i felt really guilty about it to be honest with you it took me a little while to realize that I was going to make these kind of mistakes. So, you know, the learning, the the joys of it, the the this is kind of silly, but just the ability to occasionally give somebody a bottle of honey and see how much they appreciate it. Isn't that great? We don't we don't really sell our honey. Um we never really made enough. We give it back to the bees a lot. Um so we're not we're not really in it in a business standpoint, but but to be able, like, what, we went to the, quote, England family Christmas one year, and we just, we brought a little honey for people to try out, you know? And and I like, I like that, honestly. So. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I have to say that we probably give away, no joke, a quarter of our honey just to friends and neighbors and acquaintances and mm-hmm. people we see. So some we called a guy recently because it snowed and my snowblower is broken. And he came last minute and plowed our driveway. And Sharon said when she walked out, she handed him the payment. She handed him a jar of honey and she said he held it in his hands like he was holding a, a young baby. <laughs> he was like yeah. cooing almost over the fact that she gave him a jar of honey and he was just a young like 20 something year old kid but she said the appreciation in his face for for getting something like that it was priceless there that is a special thing to be able to do one one of the things is to be an ambassador and to explain to people you know because immediately people associate beekeeping with a wasp or a hornet or a yellow jacket and so you know if the bees are supplied and they're happy, they're generally not aggressive. So, so you know, in some ways you're an ambassador. And then the, the whole idea of, I, I don't want to say we're saving the world. I don't mean it in that. But, I mean, you're not doing anything bad. You're gaining by doing this, in my opinion. I'm sure that the bees would be fine if we didn't keep bees. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. But... You know, it's it's something to be said that there's some sort of mutual uh, benefit to everybody. It's nice, actually. I enjoy it. I I had lunch today with a coworker, and we got on the topic of bees, and he said something to me like, "You must feel really good. You're saving the bees." And I said, "Well, they do more for me than I ever do for them. We just give them a place to live and look after them, but..." He said, no, you, you're benefiting all your neighbors and you're benefiting the neighborhood and you're pollinating crops. Because I was telling him one of the major values beyond pollinating produce and almonds and all that stuff is 
that they do alfalfa and other things that also feed cows and <laughs> food supply. And people don't realize that it's not only one out of every three bites of food you eat, but the tangential things that bees benefit. And when you do stop and think, well, you know, if you have 20 hives, the amount of stuff that gets pollinated by them, it's not inconsequential, so to speak. So I don't know. I never stopped to think about that. But when he said it today, it struck me. So you're right. You know, it's mutually beneficial. We've, we've also, um, we've had a bad run of trees on our property. We have five acres here and the storms have done their share. And there's a local company called Pops Bees and Trees. Because they're called Pops Bees and Trees, they help people take care of bees. And now that they know us, sometimes they'll call us. So we have educated people on swarms, right? We tell them where to go to the local beekeeping page to learn what to do if you spot a swarm. So, so for that part, you know, that helps us benefit our community in some way. I, li I like that part too. I think, you know, again, we're just a couple of beekeepers, a couple bees in our backyard. It's not like any major, but little things, just a bite at a time. It's good. It's very enjoyable. Thank you for getting me involved. Yeah. I don't think I've ever said that. I've tried so many years to talk you into it. I didn't want to force you. You had to come of your own accord. I mean, I suppose I did pollute your your perspective by dropping a hive off. Brainwash. But, uh, <laughs> so tomorrow yeah. morning you're going to get up and whatever, crack a lack like you always do. You're like a four o'clock in the morning, dude. Every day. You're going to go do Apprentice. There's two things that stick in my mind about you. <laughs> One is, you're like, you know, you'd really look good with bees. You got plenty of room back there. <laughs> and the other is, you know, there's nothing like a boat. There's nothing like a boat. Yeah. There's nothing like a I, boat. But, I mean, again, it comes doing? down to how many it, things you do. Is it still seaworthy? It's a land yacht. Yeah. <laughs> It's oh, it's on. completely redone. It's got a brand new motor on it. Let's it's go. ready to go fishing. So we'll get we're not we'll get our mic checked and on and we'll go to Let's go next weekend. I'm right, going, right. Let's do it. As soon as it breaks, it's not time yet. So where I was not going with that is you go and you train apprentice beekeepers, and you're a really good instructor. Not beekeepers, bricklayers. Yeah, you've been doing it for years. I know you're like me. You're a good teacher. So what do you say this year you come and help me teach a little bit about management training? I could do it. I don't you know, we gotta find time. I'm I'm uh I'm pulled in a lot of directions now. My son got a second race car. Um I I hung up my helmet a year ago and that led us to concentrate on his program. And then this year he decided he was gonna go get a new race car. So he says he's going to scale back. We'll see. I, I honestly wouldn't mind. I don't, <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. But I mean, I don't listen. If I could come out and not say the wrong thing, the fact that you let me on this show, I'm very honored. I don't, you know, who am I? <laughs> oh, come on. So if I could, if I could come out and teach people, sure, I'm in. Count me in. Well, one of the things I would love to see you do is come to the mentoring yard for Northwest. 
come on down, right? Yeah. And and do a little of that. That's where it starts, right? Lead people. All right, we're going to make a concerted effort. Now I'm going to. So, so the oh. first or second week in April through the third or fourth week in April, somewhere in there is going to be that meeting. And again, just commit to that one Saturday. Come on out. And if you can't make that one, there's another Saturday in May. There's usually two of them that we do. You've, you've come to that, right? You went to yeah, the one who was I, in Deer Path one time. I'm teaching. I have to teach an OSHA class the first four weeks of March. And then we're supposed to go till May. I teach every Saturday. But let me see what I can do. What what episode number is this? Do you remember? I think it's 240. Okay. So episode 240, I made a commitment. See if I can live up to that commitment. Hold on. We'll come back in four years. You'll have me on again. This is really. And we'll say back in episode 240. <laughs> I don't even know. I, I opened the show with a guess at what episode. Maybe the. Uh, I'll have to re record it because I got it wrong. The last right, episode well, we'll was 239. So it's 240. This is 240. Yeah. I had it right. Congratulations on 240. You'd ever think you would get there? That's crazy. There was a time when I really felt like I was going to hang it up because I ran out of things to say. And I was disenfranchised with just whether I was relevant or not. And then at some point I said, you know what, I, I'll just be better prepared. I think that was the hardest part. It's, it's incredible, massive amount of work to prep every episode. But this year, I don't know if you heard me say this, I'm going to try and do an episode every week. Yeah. I am, and I and I have next week's episode prepped, and I have the, you know, as long as I do that type of thing, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna do the best I can. Listen, I poke fun a lot at what you say, and I call you up, and I'm like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I, you know, I I love you, but what did you say? What was that? You know, we, we joke and things that people wouldn't say to each other, but you and I can, because we're this. And, uh, you know, I I truly want to go on record saying that I appreciate, the, you know, the, there was something you told me once that somebody made a comment about. You could explain something longer than anybody on the face of the yeah, planet. <laughs> that, that was Bob teasing me about my high tool. <laughs> Sick. That was a great episode. I enjoyed that. For the record, <laughs> Bob, you were wrong. Going on, a, going on official record. So I, no, the, I just the funny thing about it is, I know I put an episode out, and I know on Monday at four o'clock when you're driving back from Oshkosh, New York, wherever you worked, I know what the phone call is. Pick it up. I just listened to your show, and then you just yeah. razz me for a half hour. No, I'm good. I say, you know, you did a great job, but that uh, one thing. Yeah, exactly. It's the same. Don't you remember so when nice. we were you say something nice, and then you go on yeah. for 15 minutes making fun of me, and then you go, that was a good episode. <laughs> it was a good episode. Yeah. You were Except good. for that one thing. Wow. Hey. That's funny. Everybody does that. When you listen, you're like, I, hey. I do it to hey. myself. Trust me. Listen, you put yourself out there. How many people can say that? Good for and, you. And I can't tell you how Don't many apologize times I ever. record something and then I get about, you know, 
I have quite a bit invested in and I listen back and I say, I don't know what was wrong with me that day, but I, I just have a moment and I just go delete it all. And I, it's lost the time or I re-record it because if I don't like it, I won't put it out. You, you asked me 10 minutes ago if I had anything else I wanted and I'm sitting here thinking, did I say anything I'm going to regret? <laughs> so well, again, I say that every episode. Out there. There was, there's something to share something with you. It's kind of funny. It's just me being me. I saw an episode where someone different podcast put out that they had just listened to someone and they didn't say it, but I'm getting the tone that they didn't necessarily agree with what was said and that they were going to talk about that, but it was behind Patreon. And I know that person listens to the show and I'm just wondering if it was me and if it was, I'm okay with that. Right. But lately, I, I know you haven't had a chance, but you're driving back up to New Hampshire. You should listen to my recent shows because I've been very opinionated in sharing different things. And uh, tomorrow I'm going to do something rather interesting. I, I haven't told you about this presentation I put together for tomorrow, did I? You started to, and then we got involved in the butts and no, yeah, bull, hello. Edit that, please. The nuts and bolts of us talking about tonight. Oh, yeah, so, the, you know, low treatment method that I'm doing, which is not treating unless a hive is going so bad that it's going to cause pestilence and disease. I'm just being in my description. I'm not treatment free. If, if I see a hive that requires treating because it's a detriment to the community if, at large, I'm going to fix it. I'm not going to ignore it. And so I wrote this presentation and this is what I was asked for, which is a really unique forward thinking presentation that I'm giving tomorrow, which is treatment options. And I'm starting to blend into a crossroad. I don't think you and I ever talked about this. Treatment beekeepers no. treat all the time and they still have mixed results. And I'm okay with that. There's a lot of different reasons for it. One of the things I said recently, which could be controversial, is unfortunately, people who don't get to treating, you know, Bob Kloss and I, when we teach beekeeping, we tell this all the time. There's certain things you can just take your time on, get to it when you get to it. And there's other things that you have a narrow window. If you don't execute in that narrow window, there are repercussions. And so one of the mantras that I've been saying for quite some time now, whenever I do training and I'll say it again tomorrow is if you want clean winter bees and you want your winter bees to overwinter, you have to treat them in a period when winter bees are starting to be built, which let's just pick a date, the summer solstice, right? Sometime in June, late June, you have to have clean bees and beekeepers who don't, get that they've never heard that or they just don't bother because they're in the Bahamas in June on vacation for their summer thing. They come back and they go through their summer busy as whatever they are going to weddings and this, this weekend and ball game next weekend. And next thing you know, it's September and people are treating. Well, the mite thresholds are so high in their hives that the bees flying out of the hives all day long, they're, they're carrying mites out into the neighborhood. And the conversation about mite bombs 
is universal. It's because not, look, management practice notwithstanding, this is the message, might reach critical mass in the June, July, August timeframe. And if you've not done anything, no matter what kind of beekeeper you are, your mites are going to go out the door with the bees. And so I think, can I stop you for a second? Yeah. What, what do you think? I think, I think you're in the center of vacation season. You're talking about the highest, the highest temperatures of the year. So there are times in that window when you really can't treat, right? Yeah. If you're doing formic, right? So, so to me, this, this might not be very popular, but I can't understand and no one's explained to me why you don't just treat, period. You say, listen, I'm going to do formic. I don't even care less what the mite counts are. I'm going to treat. I don't, I haven't seen enough of the downside of that. Because if you find them, you're going to treat anyway, right? I, I don't, and you can always find something in there that's never going to be completely clean. I've had some really low mic counts, but I I just, I know you don't want to, like you shouldn't take penicillin every week if you got a sniffle, right? right? You should really have some legitimate reason to take it. And I guess it's along that lines, but boy, it, it, it almost seems to me... Going back to your OA every day, yeah, maybe that's gonna, maybe that's gonna be the answer. I'd listen to that episode, and I thought to myself, "Wow, that if you just said, okay, I'm just gonna do it, and there's gonna be hopefully very little, you know, you listen to these, we're gonna cure this thing, but all the side effects are, well, we're gonna list seventy million side effects." And then we want you to buy this product. <laughs> I work for a drug uh, company, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I didn't say which drug company. I left I, that out. I've but I've said it more than enough that people know. But but you. But you know what I'm saying, right? But when you do, you're happy to have them. Uh, yeah, but so right. you have to have a reason. Thing about it is, I talk about that in the presentation because I know people are going to ask that question. Treat prophylactically. Why do you need to measure? You know, when you measure, it's futile. That's what people will tell you, the real people. The research people, God bless their heart, will tell you that you need to monitor and if the threshold is below, then you shouldn't treat. Penicillin, great right. analogy. But this is the funny thing about it. I think sometimes it's a false positive and beekeepers don't recognize the biology of the hive. You do your mite treatment, or you do your mite monitoring in July, and the number comes out to 2%. And the threshold in July at peak population is maybe they could tolerate 3 to 5%. So that's 3 to 5 mites if you follow the Honeybee Health Coalition in your sample at peak population. You get 3 to 5 mites and you go on your way. You don't issue a treatment. The challenge is, is you have seven frames in your 20 frames that are capped brood, side to side, wall to wall, carpet of brood. And when those frames bust open and all the bees emerge, the mites all come out. And now you do your sample a little bit later when the nectar flow breaks or whatever you have going on and you're at 24 and you go, oh, right. oh gosh, what happened? 
oh gosh <laughs> you know yeah and so if, if that goes back to my point number or right at the top of the threshold and you look in there that you have tons of brood then but it's still look just do the right thing that's what that message is and i'm not against do the right thing but i i don't I only say this out of reverence for beekeepers. There's so many new beekeepers who have never examined this dynamic and don't understand it. And they treat to a schedule or a calendar or they don't treat it all or they get to treating somewhere along the line and they don't understand the crux of how important it is to keep the mite thresholds down and maintain a low threshold, all the things you'll read. And so, I'm just calling it as it is. My my concept right. is all the people are kind of a little too laissez-faire for the actual literature to, to make sense as a practice overall. I, I You just brought me to one other thing I want to bring to light. This was a lesson that I learned. And it's one that if you're new to this, you should also learn. I went out and I bought all my supplies, bought all my equipment i bought my you know visor smoker my all those things and and i purchased forming and what i didn't realize and i still don't quite get it is it's got such a short shelf life well i bought way too much and i and i ended up saying to myself well i own this paid for it by gosh i'm gonna get my money's worth and so i'm I gonna treat <laughs> you said don't do it don't because do it. It, no and and listen here's what i learned right the the composition of that product changes after its shelf life is expired Bingo. and it's detrimental and i learned that lesson i don't think i learned it from you i learned because i went back there and i said well why can't i keep using it? it's in this foil package sealed how could it possibly but but it turns out that it there is some justice to say, don't do that. Right. So lesson learned. Yep. Now, if I buy it again, which I'm, I'm in the market because I just finished all of what I had. Um, what I need to do is go parts with somebody, get, get halfies or, you know, that well, way. If I, you I'll work with you, that part of my hives are, I put Formic in my, in my, the hives I have at the Northwest apiary last year. I've, I've never done joiner. She did oxalic acid for me just recently. Yeah, I've never done oxalic. I've seen you do it, but I've never done that. And I did try um, the other product that didn't work. Do you Sorry. still have that credit you talked about? I have a little bit. Yeah, oxalic acid vaporizer. That's what you should buy. What's a, what's the other product? Cannabis.com. When you choose a vaporizer, choose a high-quality device that lets you set the temperature oh, and keep it below 230 degrees Celsius or 446 degrees Fahrenheit. He's, he's spying on us. Thank you, uh, Alexa. And, yeah. and the funny thing was, cancel. I can't say the A name. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was giving me <laughs> I lost my train of thought, were we? No, wait. She was giving me advice for how to do vaporization for cannabis. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah, no. Wow. You're going to have to edit that out. Uh, no, I think I'm going to leave it in there because it's just too comical to take away. 
What's the other product that I tried? Did Not for me. Apigard? No. Apigard. I tried Apigard and it didn't work for me. It didn't didn't knock anything down. How so, big was your population? Was... Massive? So yeah. In the height of the season? Yeah. See, I have this theory. Nobody agrees with me, or nobody's ever said, you're right, Kevin. Can't get through that far. I've it, heard you say it. It's too, the colonies are too big, especially a supreme colony. The stuff just doesn't have enough distribution power to, to service a large hive. A normal, conventional, regular population, yeah, and at a certain time of year it will work. But when you're in the peak population phase... Well, I think that year they were, they were three over three bursting at the seams, all three of them, just bursting. So this is what I want to say to you this year. You need mm -hmm. to come with us when we graft and you need to replace your queens. What do I tell you about the third year queens? <sighs> I know we had to come. We're so reluctant. I figure they should play it out. Why do I want to get involved in that? But... I'm going to listen to your advice and you we'll have a do everything right in your yard this yeah. year and your hives will die and you'll go, that sucked. Or you could replace with a brand new, fresh, vigorous queen. Mm -hmm. And chances are your hives will come out booming next year. Why not take okay, the risk? It's not that big of a deal. Just let's do that. Okay. I'm convinced. Okay. Going on record. I just want you all to know that I've told him this, like, you could hear it in his voice. <laughs> yeah. No, I've never heard this before in my entire life. Haven't steered you wrong <laughs> yet, have I? No, we're doing pretty good so far, I gotta say. Okay. All right. Anything else you want right. to talk about? No, thanks for having me on, honestly. I don't, I don't know how people are going to receive this and, uh, you know, I, I honestly... Uh, before we went on the air, can I say it that way? I don't know. Before we went on the air, I said to you, you know, you want to have more people on. It's interesting. Not that you're not doing a good job by yourself. I don't mean I, that. I, but... love, I love doing this kind of thing of having somebody to chat. So if you're a podcaster or you're somebody who wants to be on, call Kevin up and say, hey, Thanks, I got I something to say. I have two or three interviews set up coming. Did, did, you, did you enjoy the... Uh... Trying to get the sound levels set before we started. What a mess. Oh, that was no problem at all. It took 45 minutes. We have no idea whether this recording worked well either. So we'll, we'll see. Hopefully, if you're hearing yeah. us now and then everything came out all right. Yeah, I, I plan to do more of this. It's only so many yeah. hours in a day. I got you. Well, it was fun. Thank you. Wait, we have to I, talk I about one more point. We missed it. Yeah. What? You're coming to EAS this year in Maryland. I I honestly, yes, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I, I you need to go. I have to caveat that and saying I have. I want to see the receipt that you registered. You and Karina. I've never honestly um, had so many things on my docket as I do this year, and I'm concerned about letting you down. But I, we, we are committed. I love Maryland. My daughter's house is very close to this place, so we could stay there. And uh, I, I did some work on their website some time back, and I met a lot of nice people there. And I would like to go shake their hand and meet them in person. So 
I, I do have some compelling reasons. Um, I'm not sure that I'm the kind of guy that's going to sit in classes all You're day. You're going to love it. I, you know, I talk to people I'm... and I say, you, you went to the beekeeping meeting when we went to Warren. I did. And we had a good time. And, yeah. And picture, you could learn something in a single meeting. You could learn a year's worth of something in a single conference. And until you go and experience it, and you're seeing some of the preeminent beekeeping people across the United States and abroad, and you walk out and you have like this, you have an appreciation for it. It's amazing. I, I want to tell you, I, I worked on their, their website for two years, maybe. I did, I think did quite a bit of stuff. With their stuff. They loved you, yeah. too. They called me and, and my soul. <laughs> honestly, I'm going to tell you, they, there are some really good people there. They, they don't, you don't realize how much dedication that these folks have to putting on a good show. And the amount of time and effort... I have a lot of respect for them. They really do. Um, you know, they go to the ends to, to find what they need to do to make sure that every part of your stay when you go, you should simply appreciate how much work goes on behind the scenes. And I do, because I was there and I listened to them talk in, you know, multiple meetings about little details that make your stay so valuable. I just, so even like... All kidding aside, put all those other things I said, that's a reason that I would go. Just to appreciate all the details because they worry about where you're going to park. They worry about making sure that you're going to have a good time, that there's some extracurricular things to do, that there's, uh, you know, basically camaraderie built into it in some degree, that you get to have places where you could be social with other people. There's no stern. Yeah, hello. There's no stone that they left unturned. They really do a great job. So for that reason, yes, I'm going to try and make Maryland. Not try. Not try. Going to make. <laughs> Good. No, there is Good. no try. Okay. There's okay. No there, try, Yoda. Yes, Yoda. Yeah, we're we're going to have a. This is going to be an amazing. The, the Maryland people are going to do an amazing job. It's going to be above and beyond one of the best ever. I really believe that. Next to New Jersey, of course. Now, now that I'm on this uh, podcast, people know who I am. You got to bring me on stage so I can say hello. Well, funny you should mention that. Yeah. Naylor, who we both know. Yes. Sent me a message and she reserved another time slot for me. And, oh. uh, I, I'm happy to report that we will do a live show, record a show while we're there uh, one of the nights. I think we have the same night as last year. We'll have a venue to do it. And last year I had Dewey Karen on, which was, if you haven't listened to that episode, amazing. Dewey, you know, but, but give yourself, you know, you don't know it. They went through the history of EAS and in the history of EAS, there wasn't a mention of me at all, but you were in <laughs> three times. Keep England master of it. I was like, what the hell? It's funny because I never met. Nobody knows who I am. <laughs> I've never met Dewey. And and a couple of these prominent people. I've never met them, but I've talked to them because of this website and things and whatever. And I'm like, you're Dewey Karen. I said, I know you. 
He goes, oh, yeah? I said, yeah. What would Dewey do? I said, I hear all these things. Well, and, and, and you're Thomas freaking Seeley. I know who you are. <laughs> I've never met these people, but I know who they are. Well, just that's because the cool of... thing is you could see Tom on the keynote stage, and then in the, in the afternoon you might sit and have lunch with him. I mean, he's that approachable, and, you know, people, you could just walk up and sit down and say, hey, Tom, how you doing? Yeah. Love your talk or whatever, and have a con And to talk to him in person is like... You know, could you imagine sitting down with Lorenzo Langstroth? It's, it's that kind of moment. Yeah. We met some really amazing oh. people at EAS, but I mean, we're killing this. Oh. Okay. I'm just going to say. Do you remember the said, end? You're, you're Keith England. <laughs> you're yep, Keith but I put one leg in my pants sense. at a time. <laughs> Funny. When PP, when B, yeah, hello. I could say Come it. On, you say it. I'm too tired. When PP, no, yeah. Can't even say beekeepers. Come on. Edit that. Edit, Edit that out. I'll say bye, everybody. Go ahead. I, I can't remember it. When beekeepers go together, they can accomplish great things. Thanks for being here, everybody. Is that right? That's right. Did I say your line? That's good. I wanted you to do. Oh, my God. This is like a blunder. <laughs> Thanks for listening, it's, everybody. It's the perfect way for the Goofy Brothers to end the show. See you, everybody. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time on the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. Finally a guest. No. Come on. Give me a name. Usually one to two words is the best. Guest speaker. No. Come on, put some effort into it. I try to be creative every time I do one of these. Four years. Four years. Okay. Mm -hmm. That works, I suppose. That's really kind of goofy, but it, but in a Kevin kind of way it works. <clears throat> Heath moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's even better. <laughs> but, it, but it gives away the opening. Sorry, they're gonna know. Yeah, I know. All right, I know. Would have been neat to have a little bit of a surprise, but we also told people we were gonna do this. So, all right, silent on the set.